Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, one and all. Welcome back to The Last Symptom Podcast. I'm grateful you're here. We have lots of good things to talk about this week. But before we dive into it, let me introduce myself. I'm Brian Barnett, your host, as well as the creator of The Last Symptom. I had borderline personality disorder myself for the first 35 years of my life, utterly unaware. And a major crisis in my life caused me to first identify that I had borderline personality disorder and then do the work to authentically rid myself of the disorder for real and permanently. A lot of people say that can't be done. Well, in that case, it's probably a good thing that nobody had told me that before I went and did it. I now spend my days and years helping other people do the same for themselves, not only with borderline personality disorder, but with any emotional disorder or emotional unhealth. That's a term I've coined. For example, many folks who found me because they wanted insight about something a partner was dealing with, have later gone on to find tremendous value for themselves and insights into unhealthy issues that they themselves have lived with but had never stopped to acknowledge. How is my work supported? Well, this is done through thelastsymptom.com, which has several important and significant free resources but that also offers several paid resources for example you can schedule one-on-one phone and zoom conversations with me at thelastsymptom.com also i offer a pre-recorded two-week video intensive program at thelastsymptom.com and uh, it's called the last symptom fundamentals course informatively It is superior to any other program out there that I'm aware of, including DBT by a large margin. TheLastSymptom.com offers you the ability to donate financially to support my work, and uh, donations continue being an important source of my support, and I want to deeply thank anybody who has supported me in this way lately. You know who you are, and today's show is thanks to you. Last announcement, and then we'll be off to the races. The Last Symptom Community on the Locals platform, L-O-C-A-L-S, has turned into another very important, steady source of support for my work. You can join at no cost. You can enjoy a regular stream of content at no cost. But its supporters are the ones who uh, get access to everything 
and also make up an important part of the conversations we enjoy there within the community. So just visit thelastsymptom.locals.com or download the locals.com app from the App Store and join us there on the Last Symptom community. It's important for me to point out that my daily condensed video series called Orange Slices are available exclusively on the Last Symptom community on the Locals platform, L-O-C-A-L-S. Somebody wrote to me and said I had a question come up after listening to Season 2, Episode 4 of the Last Symptom Podcast. So that's, that's going back ways. But the person says, you mentioned that people in your life did not extend you compassion in the same way that you extended compassion to your friend. I believe you were saying that what was at least partly missing was some acknowledgement that your acting out wasn't the Brian they knew. What I don't understand is if you essentially had borderline personality disorder for your whole life up to that point, then why would the Brian they knew be someone who would act in compassionate and seemingly emotionally healthy ways? Thank you for the question. Here's my answer. When we talk about the negative behaviors of any emotional disorder, so it doesn't necessarily have to be borderline personality disorder. It could be any emotional disorder. When we talk about the behaviors resulting from the disorder, what we're really talking about are compulsions. See, a compulsion is when the disorder takes control away from you. In other words, the individual could not control the behavior no matter how hard he or she tries because the causes behind it are something that they are unaware of and have no way in the moment of fully understanding because they don't understand where it's coming from and what it is and you know what's really at the, the heart of it um, th- there's really no you can't white knuckle control yourself for forever that way you know, think about like temper or an anger problem you can tell yourself, oh, I can't lose my temper, can't lose my temper, can't lose my temper. But until you identify the causes at the root of why you lose your temper, you will lose your temper. You can't just, from force of will, prevent yourself from losing your temper when you don't even understand the reasons, the real reasons, at the, the root of why you're losing your temper at all. So that's what I mean. Without understanding where it's coming from, what the true nature of it is, how can any person reasonably be expected to get any problem behavior under control? They reasonably can't. And uh, speaking of being reasonable, you know, a person needs time to be able to do this. To understand where it's coming from to understand the true nature of what it is and so forth it's not reasonable to think that it can be done overnight when the effects of an emotional disorder accumulate into a full-blown crisis like I experienced all those years ago 
these compulsions, these behaviors become even more dramatic and outrageous for a while. When I talk about the Brian that uh, the people in my past knew, what I'm really talking about is my heart, my inner self, my intentions. So I think most of you would agree that nobody who is a decent person in their heart, who also has an emotional disorder, goes around intentionally mistreating those he or she cares about. The mistreatment is generally part of the compulsions involved with the emotional unhealth or the emotional disorder. So my wife, for example, in normal everyday life, she knew I was one person, but that I behaved in ways that were contrary to what I would have liked. They were contrary to what was in my heart or what my intentions were. Struggling with a bad temper, for example, is just as one everyday example. I hated my, my outbursts, but as I said, just finished explaining, I was powerless over them. You see, don't understand why, why I'm having these outbursts. I'm going to try to white-knuckle control myself, but that's a losing battle. And until you've addressed the causes, it's a total losing battle. Nobody can control themselves in that way, have complete and total control over themselves in that way because it's, it's superficial. It's a superficial approach. It doesn't address where these things are coming from. And so since I never truly understood where these things were originating, I was powerless over them, no matter what my intentions were. But my wife was able to see that my issues with anger were something that I loathed. I hated them. I hated that. And it didn't truly reflect my inner person, you know, the person... I wanted to be. Once my crisis hit, I call it a crisis, but others might call it a breakdown. My compulsions became much more obnoxious and outrageous and dramatic. And suddenly, the people around me were no longer willing to separate the Brian they knew, that is, the, the person that they knew I am on the inside, from my behaviors. And that was painful for me. It was very painful. I was being equated with something that I did not want to be. Because of the dramatic nature, the really offensive and dramatic nature of my behaviors at that time, and because of these individuals' own pain as a result of them, now the behaviors and I were being viewed as one and the same thing. Um... That was uh, painful for me. It was very painful. Um, And I couldn't seem to stop it. It was kind of like a a snowball that had gotten out of control. So compassion in these cases is, despite pain, being able to view one's behaviors and who the individual is as a person, who they are, the inner person, as separate things. As I've mentioned in the past, people do this all the time for people who, let's say, tell a hundred lies 
in a in the lead up to committing suicide so the family afterwards or the friends will look at all that lion deceit will look at the lion and the deceit and say this was not my loved one he would not have done such a thing therefore more must have been going on than anybody could have ever understood at the time well what are they doing very simply they're separating the behavior in their minds from the individual this is compassionate um, a person that I knew once uh, committed suicide and I called up my old wise Cherokee Indian mentor Dave Selvage and uh, I said what do you think about this he said uh, I think it's killing yourself is not a sane thing nobody who is sane kills themselves that was compassionate I thought uh, that's a compassionate uh, way of looking at it nobody who is sane uh, you know inherently killing yourself is an insane act nobody who is in their right mind kills themselves so therefore compassion is called for so uh that helped me after that conversation it helped me to uh, to look at things a little bit more different um, I always looked at it as uh, being t totally selfish and of course it is selfish totally uh, unforgivable and and these sorts of things and after talking to uh, Dave that time on the phone and him explaining it to me that way uh, I said yeah I can get on board with that I can get on board with that understanding of the thing and be more uh, compassionate. You know, if, if you're not in your right mind, you can't reasonably be held accountable for the decisions you make while you're not in your right mind. So that's compassionate, you know, separating a person's actions from who they are as a person they might not understand and they might not have had time yet to understand why they are behaving that way and this is what I would have liked to have gotten from those who cared about me in the past not to tolerate my behaviors and not to forgive me overnight or ever necessarily but at the very least to choose to separate my behaviors from who they knew me to be as a person but you know they're just people too and uh, maybe that's uh, asking too much considering some of the things I put them through I wanted to talk switching gears here I wanted to go into talking about some relationship stuff because some people in the past have taken what I've said about relationships to somewhat of an extreme and uh, they've sometimes exaggerated my message so for example I've never necessarily told people that the only way to get better themselves is to break up with their emotionally unhealthy boyfriends and girlfriends and husbands and wives right now like they've got to do that and they got to do it right now what I have said is that if you're in a just a boyfriend girlfriend situation breaking up is worth doing 
uh, it will make recovery for yourself infinitely easier. You know, authentic recovery is an individual accomplishment. It requires a focus, a, a total focus on oneself as an individual. And the very nature of being in a relationship with a boyfriend or a girlfriend complicates that, don't it? Because when you're in a relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend, you're not walking around thinking of yourself as a me. Right? And that's where your focus needs to be. Instead, you're walking around thinking of yourself as a we. Authentic recovery from an emotional disorder is an individual accomplishment. As such, it requires a total total attention to oneself as an individual. For a time. I've also said that a person who genuinely makes headway in authentic recovery will later not have a desire to stay with a girlfriend or boyfriend that they're with or were with. You know, your thinking and attitudes will have changed with recovery. What is at the root of emotional unhealth? Poor attitudes, poor thinking, erroneous thinking, erroneous perspectives, unhealthy attitudes. Are you going to are you still going to have all those same attitudes and perspectives and stuff once you're authentically better? <laughs> no. Those things inherently have to change in order for any true healing or progress to happen. So now think about that. What what has drawn you to this unhealthy person in the first place? Because if you're unhealthy, they're unhealthy. I've explained in the past that emotionally healthy people don't get together with emotionally unhealthy people. It doesn't happen. Yeah, but what if... No, it doesn't happen. It might happen that an emotionally unhealthy person gets together with somebody who doesn't know they're emotionally unhealthy. Oh, I'm the healthy one. No, you're not. (laughs) Because if you were, this person and what they have to offer you would not be appealing to you. I don't care how hot she is, guys. It wouldn't be appealing. Not in a relationship sense. (laughs) She might be appealing in, in other ways. But so you get with this person and now your attitudes, you're going through recovery and your attitudes about very fundamental things in life begin to change. Your perceptions begin to change. The way you view the world, things you view as acceptable or unacceptable, all of this begins to change. And you think that you're now going to be looking at the unhealthy boyfriend that you chose you know, two years earlier. And that's just going to look like a great decision making on your part. It it's, it ain't. <laughs> Authentic recovery means that you'll begin to see very clearly how that other person is not healthy, himself or herself. And people who are emotionally healthy don't purposely choose to commit themselves to relationships when it's obvious that it's just going to mean angst and frustration and the the robbing of happiness rather than the um, rather than a, a contribution to happiness you know making such a choice like that in itself would be an emotionally unhealthy act 
The only people who knowingly make emotionally unhealthy, detrimental decisions for their lives are emotionally unhealthy people. The purpose for being in a committed dating relationship is what? It's to measure compatibility. Yeah, that, that's the purpose of it. It's to measure the compatibility of the relationship to decide whether to fully commit to a life together. Having a boyfriend or a girlfriend isn't just a thing for kicks. I mean, it's, it's nice. It's one of the nicer aspects of life. But it has a greater purpose, and that purpose is to measure long-term compatibility so that you can make an informed decision about whether to continue the relationship or end it. People in general don't seem to understand this. Having a girlfriend is not a life commitment. People behave and act as if they don't know this, which is bewildering to me. You agreeing to have a girlfriend is not a life commitment. It's an evaluation period for the consideration of a life commitment. Got the difference there? Me saying, hey, will you go with me? Will you be my girlfriend? That is not a life commitment. It's a, a commitment of sorts, but it's not a life commitment. The commitment is this. We'll just see each other and uh, see how things go. This is to decide. This is to provide some security that I, you know, I'm not out bouncing around with a bunch of different girls, and you're not out bouncing around with a bunch of different guys while we continue getting to know each other. But it's not a life commitment. It's an evaluation period for the consideration of a life commitment. So this is why I have different advice for those with girlfriends and boyfriends than I do for those who are married. You know, wives and husbands have already made a life commitment decision. You with the boyfriend or the girlfriend, you, you have not. I don't care what you think. You haven't. You're in an evaluation situation. In which case, it's very simple right now. I don't mean this minute. I mean within a period of time. If if your interest is in genuinely uh, recovering from some sort of emotional disorder. It's very simple, relatively speaking, to just get out of that relationship and focus on yourself for a couple years. Save you a lot of pain down the road. In my personal case, while in my recovery, I refuse so much as to get into a dating commitment so I dated casually, uh, had a really healthy love life, but I did not have girlfriends per se. You know, I, I had girls that I saw regularly, regularly, but I, I did not have girls that I agreed to be in a committed relationship with. What would have been the point? What would have been the I'd just come out of the most painful experience of my life. Most painful experience of my entire life. And I had not yet figured out uh, what was at the root of all that. And I had not yet had time to correct all the things that was at the root of that. 
why on earth, after just having endured the type of pain that I can't even describe because it was just beyond anything, why would I come right out of that and then hop into another committed relationship without having identified and addressed the thing that had brought me to so much pain in the first place? That would have been absurd. I mean, beyond absurd. It would have been stupidity. Now, you, you're not a stupid person, are you? You listen to this? You wouldn't willingly, knowingly, put yourself right back into a situation like that, would you? So why? Why are you going to make big life and relationship decisions and do that to yourself? Knowing that your perspectives are unhealthy and the the only sorts of resulting decisions you can make will also be un- unhealthy. You know, that's that was my perspective on the thing. I knew my decisions on such things could only be unhealthy, which would mean more pain in my life further down the road. I wasn't about to do that to myself again. I had just come out of the most excruciatingly painful period of my life. I was not going to knowingly do that to myself again. So, yes, I advise unmarried people very strongly that it's better to be single while trying to authentically recover. But I recognize that the decision about whether to break up with partners is up to individuals. And I've never said that remaining in the relationship isn't each individual's choice it will simply make authentic recovery much more difficult another thing I'd like to clarify about this is that some have made the dramatic decision of breaking up with their boyfriends and girlfriends pretty soon after hearing this advice and um, sometimes they've done this before I feel that they truly have a uh, deep clear solid understanding of what why they're making that decision and before they were genuinely committed to authentic recovery you know it's like a diet a person might be real excited and take all sorts of dramatic action in the first day but their determination isn't quite as real as it needs to be for success and so they give up on the diet after three days and suddenly all the dramatic actions that they took now seem pointless three days later oh I shouldn't have thrown away the Pringles so it's important for everybody to know that nobody has to make huge life decisions overnight there's time to sit and really think these things through you don't let me Brian Barnett or the last symptom make decisions for your life don't be impatient to make huge decisions take your time Make sure you understand very thoroughly the reasons why the decision is the best decision for yourself. you got to clearly see why it's the best decision before you follow through on, on decisions like that. And as I've said, I don't give the same advice to married people. They've already made a commitment and sometimes already have 20, 30, 40, 50 years invested with the other person as well as children mortgages and so forth but even with married people 
in the interest of genuinely escaping emotional unhealth, separation or divorce, if truly necessary for you to achieve emotional health, should be a serious possibility to consider if it comes down to it. Nothing else matters than escaping emotional unhealth, even if it means separation or divorce. Separation and divorce might also become necessary when we get into boundaries and the decisions and behaviors of the other person. You know, since they have free will and can live however they want, we have to make concrete decisions for ourselves sometimes about what we're willing to have in our lives and what we're not willing to have in our lives. If another person's using their free will to make decisions and engage in behaviors that are causing unhappiness and disorder in our own personal lives, and that other person doesn't seem serious about change or understanding their issues and and making efforts to uh, correct the underlying problems, then divorce or separation should definitely be on the table. My qualifications for who gets to be in my life is very simple, and it applies to partners, relatives, friends. It applies to everybody. And it goes like this. A person simply has to contribute more greatly to my peace and wellness than they contribute to disorder and unhealth. Notice that I don't require or expect anybody to be perfect. I myself would not pass such a test. But if we imagine people like scales or a teeter-totter, some of you call it a seesaw, People must more greatly, as teeter-totters, be leaning on the side of peace and wellness. Anybody who contributes more disruption and unhealth than they do anybody who contributes more disruption and unhealth than they do peace, harmony, health, they got to go. It's the only way that we will get to enjoy peaceful, harmonious, healthy lives, you see? Can't allow everybody and all sorts into our lives and think that we're just going to enjoy calmness and peace and health. Whatever sorts of people we allow in, bring in whatever sorts of emotional health or unhealth, that's what our own lives will look like. And since we have no rights, responsibility, or authority over any other person's lives and decisions, the only practical solution is to have qualifications in place for who we will allow to be a part of our lives. And whenever a person does not meet those qualifications, well, unfortunately, they just can't come in. Next question. If our two distorted core beliefs are that our feelings are inherently shameful and therefore we are inherently shameful how do we go about correcting these two distorted core beliefs I've listened to episodes of the last symptom podcast but can't find what I want to know is it just about changing the words of those beliefs or saying over and over in our heads that we are worthy and not shameful until we believe it or should we be living in a different way and it will suddenly appear 
that we feel as good and worthy as everybody else. Well, that's, uh, you know, now that the, the last symptom fundamentals course is an existing thing, a uh, person who really wants to change their two distorted core beliefs should take that course. But let's go ahead and talk about it today. You know, when we're talking about the, the distorted core beliefs at the foundation of emotional disorder, we're talking about underlying beliefs that involve an unconscious perspective regarding things of an inherent nature. Let's say that again. Underlying beliefs that involve an unconscious, means a person's not aware they're there, perspective regarding things of an inherent nature. So, no, the answer is not lying to yourself over and over again with superficial encouraging memes or anything like this. Because no matter how often you chant, I'm worthy, I'm worthy, this is simply you lying to yourself in a sense because you know the the reality is you are worthy but you don't believe it fundamentally that is contrary to what you believe so and you know this on some level you know this uh, so when you say to yourself Sally you're worthy Sally knows she's lying to herself because she doesn't really believe that. I explained to somebody not too long ago that uh, if I ask you to jump off the roof of your house because you'll float gingerly down to the ground, you're not going to believe this no matter how convincing I am. No matter how much you want to trust me in general, you will not be able to bring yourself to step off the side of the roof. Why not? because your direct lifelong first hand experience with gravity contradicts what I'm telling you you see you might want to believe it and you might tell yourself that you believe me but when it comes to the the big moment you won't you you come up and step up to the edge of that roof you simply will not be able to bring yourself to hop off you just won't be able to Again, all of your direct experiences tell you this is a very bad idea and that what I'm saying just simply can't really be true. So that's what we're dealing with here. All of your direct, lifelong experiences have convinced you that your feelings do not have inherent value. That any value that they have has to come from other people agreeing that you're feeling the right thing or other people agreeing that the circumstances allow for those feelings you know, your parents led you to believe this through their attitudes and now every experience in life the beliefs within you that your parents led you to adopt through their unhealthy attitudes every experience then in life has seemed to confirm what you already believe because you're looking around for confirmation bias right you drop your groceries uh, 
uh, out in the parking lot at the grocery store and somebody turns and laughs at you that's confirmation isn't it look at your feelings don't matter you don't matter you're a shameful embarrassing thing has it really confirmed anything no it hasn't confirmed anything at all it's just your perception of the uh, experience you view it as a as a confirmation so nothing in life has truly confirmed the idea that your value as a person is not inherent or that your feelings the value of your feelings are not inherent but based on the perspectives you have been working with you have interpreted many experiences throughout your life as confirmation of what you've already believed all your life so the answer the solution cannot be anything superficial it also can't be anything that's going to be able to take effect from one day to the next the way we change subconscious or unconscious perceptions is that we first identify what they are then we work to understand the specifics about how they got there we ask ourselves questions like were the sources of those messages ever reliable to begin with what do the realities of our parents own lives reveal about the accuracy of their own attitudes have their perspectives brought harmony contentment and peace to their lives or has it brought frustration disorder and discontent you know if they were the people we learned our own perspectives from this matters a lot how is it that these foundation perceptions cannot represent the truth how can we be sure they don't represent the truth how have these perceptions controlled every decision and behavior and thought and feeling we've ever had how would those thoughts behaviors decisions and feelings have looked different if i had instead been raised with parents who had healthy attitudes about these things all of these uh, questions get answered by the way uh, in the last symptom fundamentals course if you've ever learned a language you know that a new language is not acquired overnight I learned Spanish in my 20s and what I learned from that experience is that the language become a natural part of me very slowly and very gradually no matter how hard I worked I could not speed that up the language became a natural part of me slowly and gradually what I also learned is that I could spend hours upon hours every day for years sitting at home studying grammar and books and I could spend just as many hours memorizing vocabulary but do you know what the very best thing is that I ever did to make the Spanish language a real part of me I went out and had what I had learned encounter and make contact with real life in other words I went out I found people who spoke it in everyday life and I started speaking in Spanish I made so many mistakes I can't even I couldn't have even have counted all the mistakes I made I embarrassed myself I did it wrong I did it poorly but I was observing myself and the results of my usage of the language so when I do it right I sensed that and I saw the immediate natural positive result in real time when I did it poorly 
I also got immediate feedback on that. I observed. I made slight corrections day after day after day for years. I'm still observing and making slight corrections based on immediate live feedback even today, you know, almost 30 years later. So this is the nature of authentic recovery. Uh, Number one, hope. Number two, sincere desire or genuineness and approach. Number three, accurate education or information. Number four, insight. And number five, time. Where does much of the insight come from? It comes from observing yourself while you're living life and applying what you're learning and getting immediate positive or negative feedback. So these are the things, you know, uh, this immediate positive or negative feedback. It's these sorts of things that encourage you that the new perspectives you're trying to adopt are true and accurate and the old ones are false and destructive and over time slowly but surely you begin to see change real change permanent change folks that's all for the show today i want to thank you for uh, joining me and uh, i hope that uh, you're having a wonderful week but as i said in last week's show now's a good time to just start thinking about something nice you can do for yourself this weekend if you got it off work and if you don't well find a day that you do have off and plan something for yourself that day let me remind you again about the last symptom community on the locals platform there's two ways that you can join us there one is the last or you can download the locals.com app from the app store and search for the last symptom or you can simply go over to thelastsymptom.com, my website, and click on the free resources tab. There's a link right there. It'll take you right where you want to go. This is Brian Barnett saying goodbye for now, but we'll all be back together soon enough. Mm-hmm.